1: You now, it's a big step when people take on the joy priority of prayer. J, joy. J and joy stands for Jesus first in the praise and worship. O and joy stands for others. Second, Y and joy stands for you. These are all big steps. To see Rachel praying here in verse 22, first time we've seen Rachel praying, does our heart good to just kind of look at this and say, Boy, that's the Rachel we like to see. Now, since God made Rachel wait for such a long time before she started to have children, Rachel probably thought that God was not going to answer her prayer, or that the answer was no. But we can see that God did answer Rachel's prayer in verse 22. It just took longer than Rachel wanted. So Rachel thought that God was not going to answer her prayer, but God was going to answer Rachel's prayer, just not at right at the time when she wanted, just later. And that's hard for Rachel to take that. So she had this outburst in verse one, give me children or else I die. And when Rachel said that, Rachel didn't have children. Instead, Rachel said, well, who needs God to have children when you have a fertile handmaid? So when Rachel should have waited, she should have been patient, Rachel jumps the gun and grabs her handmaid and gives her to Jacob so she can get the children. And that shows us the hardest thing that we have to do when we pray is wait. You know, David said in Psalm 27:14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That verse is so instructive for us because David's repeating himself. And whether David is speaking to someone else, or if you speaking to himself, you can see the impatience at work as he starts out the verse by saying, Wait on the Lord. And then impatience gets going, and David repeats, Wait on the Lord. And he doesn't just say the second time, Wait on the Lord. He says, Wait, I say on the Lord. Special insistence, a sternness, because he can see how impatience is about to take the situation out of control. So when you read in verse 22, you can't help but wonder when it says, God opened her womb. And in verse 23, and she conceived to bear a son. If at that moment, Rachel might have said, oh, I thought I was infertile. I thought I'd never have children. Let's see now, what did I do because I thought I was infertile? Oh yeah, I gave my handmaid to Jacob. Mm, I didn't have to give my handmaid to my husband. Boy, if only I would have waited. I, you know, I would not have introduced this handmaid problem into the marriage into the equation here, into the family equation. Now, as we imagine Rachel thinking those thoughts, it's a warning to us. Wait on the Lord, like the hymn says. Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. Run not before him, whatever betide, In joy or in sorrow, still follow thy Lord. Looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Run not before him. Unfortunately, that's what Rachel did. She ran before God and didn't give God a chance to guide her. And we always make a huge error in life when we say, well, I have to because of this or that situation that's pressuring me. See, that was what, re- that was what caused King Saul to lose the kingdom. As it says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, it says, he tarried several days, seven days, that'd be Samuel. According to the set time that Samuel had, appointed there to Saul. But Samuel came not to Gilgal until the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither the burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered, that'd be Saul, the burnt offerings. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offerings. Behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, well, because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, the Philistines were gathered themselves together at Michmash. See, these are pressing situations. The army is dissipating, and the enemy is gathering. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, he says, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him, a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. See, Saul had no business doing the work of the priest and offering the sacrifice. Samuel told him that he'd come down there to make the offering, and God purposefully had Samuel delay his coming to test King Saul. But King Saul failed the test because he saw the Philistines were advancing and his own army was deserting. And so he said, he forced himself. And King Saul did not wait on God. He went before God. And and so therefore, God said, he's going to replace King Saul with a man after his own heart. So because King Saul did not patiently wait for God, King Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Now we read in verse 23. Verse 23, Genesis 30, verse 23. Okay, she says there, she conceived, bear a son. She conceived and bear a son. It appears that both Joseph and Dinah were born in the same year. But with the birth of this son, Rachel now makes two important statements. What's the first statement that Rachel made about what it meant for her to have this son? What would she say? Yes, God hath taken away my reproach. First statement. Second statement about what it meant for her to have this son is what? She'll add to me another son. The Lord shall add to me another son. Verse 24. So the first meaning that Rachel saw in having this son was a taking away of her reproach. The second meaning that Rachel saw in having this son was an adding of another son. See, Rachel saw that the birth of this son was both a taking away and an adding. Now, if Rachel was teaching mathematics class here, we're talking about addition and subtraction, right? Now, in Hebrew, the words for take away and add or addition and subtraction, they're very similar. They sound very, very similar. This is the word she used. Taking away is the word asaf. Asaf means take away. And Ad is the word Yasaf. So Asaf is take away and Ad is Yasaf. Okay? So what she did here is she combined these two words and invented a new word. Okay, And the new word is a combination of the two and it comes out Yosef. Okay? So Rachel used to play on words on the similarity between two words asaf and yasaf or to take away and add to invent a new word which she now gives the meaning of both take away and add because she saw both in her son a taking away of her reproach of infertility and an adding of another son to come now you may see a lot of problems with rachel and you may be tempted to say a lot of things against rachel but one thing you cannot say about rachel is that she's not smart she's very smart And the way Rachel combined these two words shows that Rachel is quick on her feet. She's sharp. She's very smart. So this is the name that Rachel gave to her first son, Joseph, which is both a statement of a present taking away of Rachel's reproach and a promise of a future son to come. Now, let's just think about this a little bit. Let's just think a little bit about what this tells us about Rachel And so do this, there's Clint, he's back there, see, it's Clint. And when Clint and Lori had Cassidy, and when Cassidy was just a few months old, I remember after a service, Clint was sitting over there, and he was holding Cassidy up in the air. He was holding her up in the air like that, see, over his head. And he was looking into Cassidy's face, and Clint was smiling at her. And I'll never forget the look on Clint's face. He had such a a look of joy on his face. It was amazing for me to see him hold little Cassidy up so that his face was right over his face. I mean, I sat there and I wondered, isn't he afraid that she's going to vomit on his face? That was going through my mind, you know. That wasn't going through his mind. Clint showed no concern that little Cassidy was going to vomit on his face. And he didn't care even because Clint loved Cassidy. Clint was just happy to have Cassidy, you know, vomit at all. And it was that look on Clint's face that said to Cassidy, said, you know, he's holding up there, she says, he's, he's saying to Cassidy, I love you, I'm so happy to have you, I don't care if you vomit on my face, I love you and I love having you. And I thought to myself, you know, there's Clint, 55 years old or something like that, and at his age, that look on his face as he held Cassidy over him was not you know, it wasn't a look like, Cassidy, I'm 55 years old. I'm trying to feed a wife and eight kids already. (laughs) You make the ninth one, ninth kid. You add to the weight of my responsibility. I'm an old man. I'm not happy to see you. Not at all. Clint's face said it all, that even at 55, Clint was happy to have Cassidy because Clint loved Cassidy for no other reason than because Cassidy was Cassidy and Clint loved Cassidy. That was a very strong message that Cassidy got from Clint of love to have Cassidy for no other reason than because Cassidy was Cassidy and Clint loved to have Cassidy as his kid. And what a message that was for Clint's other kids when Clint's other kids saw that. It was such a strong message to Clint's other kids that Clint loves to have all of his kids for no other reason than because they are individuals that Clint loves to have as his kids. That was Clint's message to Cassidy that he loved to have her as his kid for no other reason because of who she was. And that was Clint's message to all his kids. He loved to have all his kids for no other reason because of who they all were. Now, let me ask you, is that the same message that Rachel sent to Joseph? You think? Can you really see Rachel holding Joseph up over her face and smiling at him and not worried that the little kid might vomit in her face? was Rachel saying, you know, I've wanted a baby, and I'm so happy to have a baby because I love children. I love to watch them. I love to care for them. I love to hear them. I love to feed them. I love to help them grow and teach them. Was that what she was saying? (laughs) When Rachel named Joseph, did Rachel send the same message to Joseph that Clint sent to Cassidy? With the meaning of Joseph, that Rachel, did did she send the same message to her other kids through her handmaid that Clint sent to his other kids when he held Cassidy up and, and looked at her face? When Rachel named Joseph, did Rachel send the message to Joseph, I love you, I love to have you as my kid for no other reason because of who you are? no. No. Well, if Rachel did not send that message to Joseph, you know, the message of I love you, and and I love to have you as my kid for no other reason than because of who you are, what message did Rachel send to Joseph when she named him? That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. It was the message message of I love to have you as a kid, but not because of who you are but because of your coming has taken away my reproach. And your coming means that I'm not infertile and I'm going to have another son after you. And Rachel's kids, through her handmaid, were watching Rachel and they concluded, well, if Rachel only loves Joseph because his birth took away a reproach and meant she's going to have another son, if Rachel doesn't really doesn't love Joseph because of who Joseph is, well, if that's the reason that Rachel loved her own natural son, only because of what his birth meant for her, I guess she doesn't love me. She doesn't love who I am. She just loves me because of how I benefited her. And, and this name, it made it really hard for a little guy. Again, little kid Joseph. Hey, little fella, what's your name? You know, Joseph, oh, that's a nice name. Never heard that one before. Kind of sounds like adding and subtracting. What's it mean? You know, he says, well, because my birth took away my mom's reproach of being infertile, and it, my, my mom would have more babies you know you walk around say more therapy so anyway in the naming of joseph we see in rachel this we see this typical thing like diana just said we see this tantrum like stomping of the feet attitude of well it's about time you know it's been a terrible injustice for me to be infertile for all these years it is so wrong you know, for me to have this reproach of being infertile. At last, with the birth of this boy, my reproach is taken away, and I will tell you one thing. I will not be a one-son mother. I'll tell you I will not tolerate to be a one-son mother. I'll tell you that I will have another son, and if I have to wring Jacob's neck and feed him so many love narcotic mandrakes that it comes out of his ear, I'm going to have another son, all right? Oh, Jacob, you lucky man. <laughs> What a prize you got in Rachel as your wife. She was worth all those years, huh, pal? See, God saw Rachel. God knew Rachel. God saw Jacob, and he saw Jacob working all those years for Rachel, and by giving to Jacob Leah for his wife, as it was as if God was saying to Jacob, Jacob, I'm trying to guide you. It's really hard, but I'm trying to guide you. If I wanted to guide you into the best wife, Give up on this Rachel business. It's Leah. And during the whole time that Jacob is, is not listening to God and he hates Leah and he's gonna work seven more years for Rachel, it's as if God was saying to Jacob the words of Isaiah 55 too, Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me. But in the name of Joseph, we see Rachel, what we see is that she's not really thankful for having the little guy, the little baby, Joseph. She's not. Rachel doesn't know how to be thankful. She doesn't know how to be thankful. She's not really thankful for the son himself that she just had. She's only thankful for what the son means to her. And with that in mind, what one word in verse 23 best describes Rachel? And what one word in verse 24, which is like it, best describes Rachel? What one word in verse 23 best describes Rachel, and what very similar word in verse 24 best describes Rachel? One word. Oh, Diana, you said it. It's my. It's my in verse 23. It's me in verse 24. See, for Rachel, it's all about me. She's the model person for the person who's infected with (laughs) iitis. I mean, Rachel named Joseph in this foot stomping, spoiled, selfish, self centered, self seeking, demanding tantrum. That was Rachel. And she did that with Jacob in verse 1 when she demanded in that tantrum, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob had enough from Rachel when he got angry and he said in verse 2, Am I in God's stead? And now Rachel is having another one of those demanding tantrums. And what she's doing, the same thing, this time with God in verse 24, when she demands from God by saying, The Lord shall add to me another son. And just as Jacob had enough from Rachel, now it seems that God has had enough from Rachel because God let Rachel's words become a reality. And the Lord said, yes, I will add another son. And she, he did add another son to Rachel, her last son, the one she died in during childbirth, Benjamin. First death during childbirth in the Bible. So we've seen how the meaning that Rachel ascribed to Joseph's name was just terrible, it was terrible. I mean, the name and the meaning of Rachel's last son was even worse, Benoni, son of sorrow. It was so terrible that Jacob stepped in and said, now that's enough. That's enough of Rachel's terrible names she's going to give to my sons, and he changed the name from Benoni to Benjamin. So we've seen how the meaning that Rachel ascribed to Joseph's name was just terrible. It was shameful. And what's amazing, what's amazing is that there's no indication that in heaven that the name of Joseph has changed. You know? As a matter of fact, you can make a case that with the exception of Judah, that all the names of these sons are terrible. They're shameful because they reflect selfishness on the part of the mothers. They reflect family fights. And when we, we know the background of these names from Genesis and what the mothers meant when they gave those names, we see in those names the shame of family fighting and selfishness and, and the demanding tantrums. Apart from Judah, the background of these names is terrible. There's so much shame associated with these names. Who would want to have those names? But what's amazing is that we find those names in heaven. In the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, 5-8 through 8, it speaks of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. The tribe of Gad, these are the names. The tribe, Asher, 12,000. Naphtalim, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. I mean, if you were those men... In those chapters we've been reading about here, and you appear in heaven, you know where you'd go? You'd go to the Bureau of the Name Changes in heaven. <laughs> you said, I want to change my name. Why? Because of the circumstances that I was named. You'd be denied because those same names are forever. Why? Because in the keeping of those names is something very important to know. Those men would be told at the Bureau of the Name Changes there in heaven how their name shows what they were redeemed from what they were saved from. And those men would walk out of the bureau, the name changes there and say, you know what, my mother meant my name for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm glad to keep the name. The same reason that those names are not changed in heaven is the same reason why there's a particular, you might say, disturbing scene in heaven of the lord jesus christ that'll never be erased from heaven's view that scene is made known to us in revelation 5 6 where it says and i beheld and lo in the midst of the throne of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain how does a lamb look as it had been slain it's not very pretty why are these shameful names not changed for the same reason that the Lord forever will be seen as the lamb as it had been slain. Those names are forever a reminder of the sins that were forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of the lamb. Therefore, those names are going to remain forever as a reminder of the sins forgiven and the Lord will be forever seen as the lamb as it had been slain. And we see it over and over again in Revelation. In Revelation 5, 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us by God to God by Thy blood. In Revelation five twelve, saying with loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing." And in Revelation thirteen eight, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world forever. The Lord Jesus is going to be seen in the light of Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Forever he's going to be seen as the lamb to the slaughter. Forever when he's seen in heaven. It will be said like John the Baptist said in John 1, 29. Behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Forever. And that's why the 30-minute weekly service here of the Lord's Supper, that's why it's so important I mean, Peter, you know, Peter tried to do away with, no, no, put that away. That We don't want to think of you that way. In Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth, began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me saver. It's not the things that be of God, things that be of men. See, it's of man to say, oh no. But God said, oh yes. The fact that those names are never changed and the Lord will always be seen as the Lamb shows us forever that we will be impressed forever as the words of the hymn beneath the cross of Jesus put so well. And from my stricken heart with tears two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness, the wonder of the lamb that was slain in my name. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, uh, your overruling and making good to come out of such a disastrous situation. And We thank you, precious Lord, for being the lamb that was slain in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Bible teacher and Jewish born-again Christian Tom Cantor from Friendship with God wants to invite you to celebrate Purim, which is the celebration of Esther's victory over Haman. This is an interactive celebration, remembrance, and feast at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. The Creation and Earth History Museum is conveniently located on Woodside Avenue North off the 67 next to the Santee Drive-In. So join Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries as we celebrate Esther's victory over death with Purim and celebrate the Good Friday Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ in defeating death over Satan. Admission is free, but seating is limited at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. Call us for more information at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.